All right, so today we are finishing our study through the book of Amos, and if you are one who is inclined to say, not Amos again, mom, uh, you'll be relieved that we're finishing and that we're going to finish on a brighter note. This is the most hopeful passage in the whole book. But what I've heard uh, from, from you as individuals and a lot of the small groups who've been studying this is that it has been surprisingly relevant that the days of Amos and our day are not all that different. Um, so it's been really, it's been relevant and useful for us. And it's good to end on a positive note. Uh, this is a message about restoration and rebuilding and restoring uh, the nation. And um, in the midst of God's judgment, there will be a faithful remnant that God saves. And they'll get to be part of this life and this way of life that on earth that God intended and to experience his, uh, this kingdom that he's building. So we see in this passage that God is both a God of judgment and a God of love and grace. And on this Valentine's Day, we like to think about love, and people like to just think about God's love. And you'll even hear people say, you know, I believe in a God of love. You believe in a God of judgment. And I say, God's love and God's judgment are in perfect harmony with one another. And you want God to be a God of judgment, not just a God of love. Because we don't want a God who just sits around and doesn't care when there's severe injustices and, and violence and oppression in our world. And our God doesn't want us to sit around when these things are going, around, uh, going on around us in our, in our day. Uh, God wants us to be active uh, agents of justice, and he is an active agent of justice. Uh, so we want that. And in th- this harmony of God's justice and his love and grace, we see in verse 8, perfectly balanced here. It says, Surely the eyes of the Lord, of the sovereign Lord, are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. There's this promise that, uh, yes, there, there will be judgment and there will be destruction, but not Completely, because there are the faithful who God desires to save, who will become part of his, his rebuilding. And God always restores this faithful remnant. So, and it's beautiful, because that means our God is a God who restores. Our God is a God who rebuilds. And we want a God who's in the rebuilding business. You know, these, anything that you rebuild or restore becomes really precious, if you, if you ever watch these shows, these uh, house flipping shows on TV where they, they go in and they just make everything so nice and then they, it becomes so much more valuable or they don't want to sell it. You, know, you, you restore it and say, you know, I'm actually going to keep it because that old dilapidated house has become beautiful and new. And I like to rebuild things and restore things and uh, tinker on things. And so for Christmas this year, my mother-in-law got me this little Christmas ornament. It's a Santa and he's in a canoe. And the Santa is fishing, and he's got a trout in his net. And it was the it's and he, Santa has this little pleasant look on his face because he's fishing, and and he's so happy. But it was what happened was the the little thread that connected his fishing line to his fish was broken, and I broke the little fish, so it was extra broken. So I took the time and I just carefully glued the little fish, the little trout, back together, so it goes in Santa's net. And instead of using thread as the original builder of this ornament used, I used real fishing line, because you can. And instead of a little hook, I put a real fishing fly on the hook. And I brought it today, and this is my little Santa ornament. 
with his real fishing line and a real fishing fly and his little trout, and he's so happy. And I spent time doing that because it, it's fixed. It's, it's new. It's better than it was. And it brings me joy. And so if something as simple as a Christmas ornament can bring joy as it's restored, what about health that has been restored after a long illness? What about a marriage that has been restored after a season of strife? What about sobriety that has been restored after the chains of addiction have held for so long? God is in the rebuilding and restoring business, and it's, it's his people, and it's his way, and, and we want that. So this is a very important message for us for two reasons. One is we believe that you can experience this kind of restoration today. This kingdom that he's rebuilding, you can live in it today. And we'll explain what I, what I mean by that. And we want that. Secondly, it's important because this passage, Amos chapter 9, became very pivotal for the early followers of Jesus. And in fact, Amos 9, uh, is a their understanding of this passage put all followers of Jesus on a certain trajectory for all history. And that if they hadn't understood this correctly, we may not even be standing here today. So it's, kind of a, it's a very important passage, and I'll point that out when we get to it. But let us pray as we approach God's word together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who's in the restoring business, that you rebuild that which is broken. And that includes us, Lord. And in various ways, we've come here needing that, needing to be reminded of that, needing to experience it, and needing to share it. Lord, so I pray that we would have a deeper understanding of it, uh, of you, and of your heart, and of your word, as we, as we journey this morning. So we give this time to you, we give ourselves to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I've got uh, five aspects of this restoration, and they're all letter P, so there's five points, we'll get through it, I promise. When I was a kid, the pastor would preach like that. He'd give everything began with the letter R or the letter P or something. And it would annoy me. I don't know why pastors do that. And now I do it. And uh, so I have a lot more sympathy and, and, and grace, I guess, than when I was younger. So I don't know when pastors started doing that, but I'm sorry. Number one, P, posture. There was a certain posture of the people. In verse 10, you'll see the people, there was a certain group of the people said, disaster will not overtake or meet us. But God is telling them over and over, the sin is so great, uh, the disaster is coming, judgment is coming, and they say, no, we're just fine. Disaster's not going to overtake us. What, What their mindset was, their posture was this. We're God's chosen people. We're Israel. God saved us many years ago. He saved us from slavery in Egypt at the time of Moses. The the Red Sea part, there was the the plagues, and then the Red Sea parted, and we went through the wilderness, and God brought us into the promised land. That's our God. He's not going to destroy us. If God went that far to save us, how would he in any way bring any harm here? But the prophet is saying, you're in great harm. You're not following this God who saved you. Their, their mindset would be, if I were to say, look, say I've got a wedding ring, I'm married, and I, uh, there was a woman, and we exchanged vows, and we exchanged rings, and I have a certificate, and we are indeed married. I mean, I don't know where she lives. I, I, don't, um, I think we had some kids together, but I'm not sure what this really 
you know, we don't keep in touch, really. But I know she's out there, and I've got this ring to prove it. And people would say, you're not really married. I mean, that's crazy. What this was was a beginning of an ongoing relationship. Um, and this is how Amos gives one last plea to these people. Look at verse 7. Amos says, are you, are you Israelites not the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt? And also the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the, also the Arameans from Kerr. You know, this is, he, God wants them to acknowledge, look, you've experienced my, my grace in your nation. But there's other nations that have experienced my grace, if you believe that I'm sovereign over all the nations, which the Israelites did believe. It's like, so I've shown grace to others. Just because I've shown grace to you in the past doesn't mean that you're all set for all time. The only difference between Israel and these other nations is that they had a special relationship with God, a special covenant relationship, whereby God chose them to reveal his, his saving work to the world. But it required them to trust God and obey God. So what happened in the past was meant that he could be their God, they could be their people, and it would be an ongoing relationship. But they looked at it more like, yeah, God saved us, we're all set. And honestly, any one of us could fall into that kind of a mindset to say, yeah, uh, Jesus died for my sins, and by faith I've accepted that. I, I prayed a prayer as a child, or I was baptized, or I had a, some kind of confirmation process where I said, yes, I believe you know, Jesus is my Savior, so I'm all set. I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm, I'm God's person. But we live life as if God's not even there. Or we're, we're walking in faith, and we just kind of put it aside or put it on the shelf and, and just walk our own way. And... God is reminding his people, look, my grace to you in the past. Actually, not only is my grace to you in the past not the end, but it actually, because I've shown you my love and my grace, it actually requires more of us to respond to his grace and respond to his love and walk with him, that we need to continue to trust that our, what God is doing in us, we call it sanctification. God is uh, making us holy. He's purifying us. It's a process. It's a lifelong walk. So this is why I like, in, in the, things like Ash Wednesday, for example, which is this, this week on Wednesday. There were years in, the, in this church, we didn't make much of a big deal of Ash Wednesday. And then we started an Ash Wednesday service, then we kind of stopped it, and we started it again. But I like things like Ash Wednesday because it gives us a marker on the calendar to say, you know what, I'm going to commit again. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to remember that I am... A mortal, I'm going to remember that I sin and that I need God's grace continually to walk with him. And I'm going to be intentional about it over these days. Again, we don't earn God's favor by doing these things, but we do these things because God has shown his grace and it refreshes and renews and reminds us of these things. So our faith is not just a thing of the past. It's an active daily walk. That's the posture that God is looking for in his people. So that's the first one, posture. The second aspect of this restoration is the promise, that God has promised that it will happen. Look at verse 8 again. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command, 
And I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve. And not a pebble will reach the ground. So yes, God's eyes are on this sinful nation, but he knows that there are faithful people in the midst of all the corruption and all that's going on. He knows that there are those who are trying to bring justice, that those who are trusting and walking with the Lord. And there's in every generation, there's a faithful remnant. No matter how sinful a nation gets, there are those who still continue to call on the name of the Lord. And whatever your feelings about our community and our nation and however sinful we see all the sin going on around us, as we can still be faithful to God and, and we strive for justice and righteousness and, and we just seek to trust him in the midst of it. But we know that his promise is good. So we don't give up. And, and again, it brings us back to the very beginning of our sermon series. We said, am I only responsible for my sin or am I responsible genuinely for the sins of my nation? We said, yeah, actually, we, we do have a collective responsibility. But we know that God, is, as he extends our grace to us as we live in whatever culture around us, that he is going to be faithful to his promise. Uh, and there will be a restoration. Verse 11. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. And it will rebuild and will rebuild as it used to be. Oh, see, Amos did it too. Restore, repair, rebuild the ruins. The alliteration, pastor's been doing it forever. So. Although in Hebrew, it's different. Anyway, it doesn't work. Um, and oh, so the other thing we understand by faith, God's kingdom today, we know that in the days of Amos, they were just hoping to get back to what it looked like when David was the king. You know, one nation with um, God's peace and there was right worship. They just wanted that. We know when Jesus came and he ushered in a new kingdom that it's, it's broader than any geographic boundaries, that we can all live as citizens of God's kingdom in this world today. So we get to experience this restoring work that God has promised. So that's the promise. The third thing, so we have the posture, the promise. The third aspect of this restoration is the people who are included. Look at verse 12. So that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. So now it's not just Israel, or not just Israel and Judah. It's, it's Edom and all the nations. So there's non-Jewish people who are included in this. This is way beyond what King David had. Now, this is not a new idea. Amos is reminding them of God's plan. Back to the, if you think back to the time of Abraham, if you're familiar with that part of the Bible, God promised this man that him and his descendants would be blessed. But also that all the nations of the world, all the Gentiles, would be blessed through this this family that God was extending his promises to. It wasn't just for one ethnic group. It wasn't just for one family. It was for the whole world. And, and Amos is saying, when God rebuilds this whole thing, it's going to include many nations. Therefore, our faith is not based in our ethnicity. It is not based in our background or how we were raised. It is, it's based in those who respond in faith to the grace of God. And, and that's a, it's a broad kingdom. Now, this is where the early Christians, the people who, the, the very first followers of Jesus, understood this. And what happened was, all the early Christians were Jewish. 
So this is, uh, Jesus was Jewish and he was, uh, they understood him to be the Jewish Messiah, that he was the anointed one. He was the one who was to come and he was the, the coming king who was going to uh, reign on the throne of David. They understood that. And by his death and resurrection, he proved it was true. So these Jewish believers started following him. But as they shared the good news of Jesus, there were people who were not Jewish that started to come to faith. And the church had to make a decision. They had a a debate, and they actually had a council of leaders got together. It's described in the Bible in Acts chapter 15. In Acts 15, they're trying to decide when these people come to faith in Jesus... Do they have to become Jewish first to follow Jesus, or can they just follow Jesus? And they were debating this, and they quoted Amos chapter 9 to say when God was rebuilding his kingdom, it was going to include all nations, that these people don't have to become fully Jewish and follow all the Jewish customs and all the Jewish laws to follow Jesus, that they can just trust and follow Jesus as they are. And if they had not made that decision, it would be very different. It would be much more burdensome and much more, uh, more barriers. You'd have to kind of change your culture and your identity before you could follow Jesus. Now we say, no, people of all cultures can put their faith in Jesus. Faith in God is not limited by your ethnicity. And so when we think about the people of God, and we know that it's a vast kingdom that God is rebuilding, It reminds us that we desire to see people of all faith and all background and all ethnicities come to faith in Jesus together as one people, united. So we therefore have a message to bring to the world. And we we value that message because it's not just for us. My faith is not primarily just for me, but it's so that all the nations will be blessed through God's people, and that includes us. So we have a message God wants to know you. You can be known by God, that God values you, that God wants to save you. God wants you to be part of his kingdom on earth. That's the message we bring to people. And people in our lives, our coworkers, even family members, our neighbors, they need this message because they're struggling and hurting and lost. We say, look, you can be found. The world as we see it is being rebuilt and you can be part of it and you can experience. That is the message we bring with us. Because the people of God, is, it's, it's all who are called. That's the people. The fourth aspect of this rebuilt kingdom is the prosperity. Verse 13. This is a beautiful picture of prosperity. Take a look. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards, drink wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. This is just an amazing picture of of productivity and prosperity. Such that the the reaper is overtaken by the plowman. So I'm the one picking picking the fruit from the harvest. And somebody's coming behind me saying, hey! Time to plow. We're planting new seeds. You say, I haven't finished picking last year's crops yet. Like, it's already time to plant. It's like, hey, you're out there picking grapes. It's already time to plant barley. I know it was, it's, you should have been done picking grapes uh, six months ago, but there's so many of them, you just, you, you can't even keep up. It's just this uh, beautiful, amazing uh, image 
of prosperity. And again, it's kind of hyperbolic language, you know, the wine flowing off the mountains. But the prosperity of God's rebuilding is so beautiful. And the reason why that's encouraging to us is because work right now is hard. We go about our day-to-day work and our our day-to-day activities, and there is frustration, there's failure, uh, we have trouble with investments. We have trouble with our coworkers or our boss, or we have trouble accomplishing the things we want to accomplish. And then our body, and just there's the aches and the the pain of of life. And but we see this image of work that is so fruitful and so easy and just so uh, productive. That's the beauty that God wants for us: prosperity. And lastly, the fifth one is peace. Verse 15, I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I've given them, says the Lord your God. This is a land without enemies. This is a permanent home. It's an eternal home. It's a a perfect dwelling place. And we all need peace. We want to live in a peaceful place. With all the division and unrest and turmoil in our world, we want a place where we can just live at peace. So there's your, your restored kingdom. So when does it happen? So in part, so after Amos' ministry, about 40 years later, there was an exile. There was a destruction of the land. Uh, the people were taken away. But God did call a faithful remnant to return and to rebuild. And, and we, uh, you're all experts because we had studied through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. That's the description of that season when they really did rebuild the temple and they really did rebuild the, the city walls and they lived in houses again. And so there was, in part, but it, didn't, it wasn't quite as far as what this looks like in this passage. So they experienced it a bit. But God wasn't done. When Jesus came to this world and he's ministering, one of the first things he said was, Uh, that the kingdom of God was at hand, that God's kingdom was present in the moment where Jesus was. And he came in to to usher in this kingdom, this rebuilt world. And he was calling people to be part of that kingdom. And we know, again, by his death and his resurrection, that he has power to rebuild and restore all of life, even greater than death itself. And that we are a holy nation. We are a a spiritual family. And that we can all be part of this kingdom. And we can experience aspects of the healing today. Because we live in that kingdom. And people experience that all the time. Various healing, whether it's physical or relational. Or just restored joy in life. That we can experience that today. But God's not done yet. Because we don't experience it in all of its fullness. That Jesus will come back. And complete the work of his kingdom. And the faithful remnant from all generations, from Amos' day, from our day, we'll all be there in this fully restored world, just the way that God intended. We, we talk about heaven, you, know, you die, you go to heaven. Well, really, the image in scripture is at the end of time, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and it's all connected. And, and we will live, and we will. There'll be activity and there'll be life, but it's life without sin or strife or struggle or tears. And we live in that restored world, that restored kingdom, and it will be known in its fullness. But we can have confidence 
and experience aspects of it today so we don't give up hope. So this time tomorrow, wherever you go about, you need to remember by faith, you are a citizen of, of a different kingdom than what you see around yourself. And God is with you day by day in faith. It's not just something he, he, that happened when you were a kid or in yesteryear. It, God is walking with you each day, and you remember that tomorrow. And tomorrow, you, you remember that as a citizen of his kingdom, you can experience restoration. So you can offer forgiveness, and you can, uh, you can operate in a way where you uh, don't lose hope, where your, your joy can be restored, because the Lord is indeed with you. Tomorrow, as you go about your day, you can remember to stay faithful to the very end. Do not despair. Do not give hope. Because he will finish his work. Let us pray. Father, we need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be reminded of who you are and what you are doing, Lord, in this world. So by faith, we we trust that you have brought us into your kingdom. Through the work of Jesus on the cross. We trust him, our king. And we, we pray that you'd show us, Lord, where you desire for us to, to walk in your kingdom. Who we can share this message with. The ways that we have lost hope. The ways that we have uh, been beat up by this world, Lord. We pray your, in whatever is coming to mind where we need that restoration and healing, Lord. We pray that we would see it in our day. Help us to trust you. We thank you that you are a God who's in the rebuilding business. In Jesus' name, amen.